Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Yes, we are going to talk about monkeypox. We've heard so much about it. Still, there's still little very known about it. And you know what? We're, we're not going to do a panic episode. We're going to just talk about what we know of it, what we've heard from evidence-based research, and kind of our various thoughts on it. So what is monkeypox? I want to say before we start, though, that I feel like this is very much like the first episode we did on COVID because it's rapidly changing. We don't know much about it. Again, I don't think this is a panic episode, but it's more like this is something that's up and coming that we need to keep our our eye on. So basically, monkeypox is a rare disease. It's been around for a while. So they first discovered it back in the 1950s. So it's not like a new thing that has just all of a sudden surfaced, right? It's been around for a while. But the thing is now it's migrated out of the countries that we normally see it in, which is a little bit unusual and, you know, somewhat of a surprise. It's basically a virus. It's not the same as smallpox. It's not the same as chickenpox. It's something else entirely, but it does transmit quite easily. I wouldn't go so far to say that it's airborne, but it is um, through contact, through close contact. Right. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I'd like to say too, in terms of, you know, what is it? I think we can say what it what it's not, right? I, I think <laughs> I think one of the things that we, we've seen so many myths and so many misinformation out there. And one of the things, so like you said, it's not smallpox. It is caused by the orthopox virus, which also causes smallpox, but it's not the same thing. So again, I think, you know, we just need to be very cognizant of these various different things that are happening. But I don't think at this point we should be in a panic. One of the things that I did see was that just as of yesterday, there were less than 30 cases in all of Canada. So far around the world, we know of just over 200 confirmed cases. Outside of where we normally see it, um, it did first surface in London, England in early May. And we're recording this episode at the end of May. So in one month, we're in the low hundreds right now. Yeah, and I believe in the U.S. there's something like 15 confirmed cases, and they have even more uh, people than than there are in Canada. So again, something to be aware of, but not something that I think we should be going into full on panic mode. And I guess we'll we'll probably again at the end of the episode talk about like what are our takeaways, what are the tangibles. But in terms of monkeypox, what have we been seeing in terms of signs and symptoms? 
So in humans, the symptoms of monkeypox are similar, but very milder than the symptoms of smallpox. So people with monkeypox, it begins with a fever, headache, muscle aches, and exhaustion. So actually almost similar to signs and symptoms of COVID. Oh God, no, not again. Um, but yeah, like these are things that we just need to be aware of. But I think the main thing is, is the rash. Like that is the main thing in all the images that we've been seeing is of this rash. And again, I just want to put it out there that one of the things that a lot of people were, you know, bringing to the forefront was like, why were they only showing these rashes on racialized people? When again, like you said, Sarah, it was actually found just recently in the UK. And of course, it started this entire debate about like, you know, why that was. And again, it it is demonization of, of racialized people. That is just something I wanted to put out there. Just thinking, being very cognizant of how the media depicts certain images, how the media talks about certain certain types of things, particularly in science, and how it can demonize uh, specific cultures and, you know, cultural groups. Yeah, and just even going back to naming conventions, right? So with COVID, we have moved away now from naming different strains after the country of origin, but even naming something like monkeypox, right? I think it just really, people get this image that, okay, it's from monkeys. I think monkeys are one of the animals that carry it. But what I've read is that a lot of the transmission from human, or sorry, from animals to humans is actually from rodents. So again, it's, it's right. really, I see that as well. it's, it's giving <laughs> monkeys a really bad reputation. And I hope that people aren't going out, you know, trying to harm monkeys or whatever, because at the end of the day, this is driven by human behaviors. So yes, it jumped from animal to human, but at the end of the day, we are the ones with our activities and globalization that are really spreading it. And I hate to keep going back to COVID, but a lot of the things we have learned from COVID, we should already be implementing for um, preventing the spread of monkeypox. Absolutely. Like I think some of the same measures are what we what we're already kind of doing to keep ourselves safe and to keep ourselves protected right so you know frequent hand washing you know um masking in crowded spaces i think these are just basic principles that we should have always had and again that you know for whatever reason that we're not being used prior to the pandemic as efficiently as they have been now but maybe just circling back. So like one of the things that you did say, Sarah, is we kind of talked a little bit about where it came from. So monkeypox was first discovered in 1958 when two outbreaks of a pox-like disease occurred in col- in colonies of monkeys kept for research, hence the name monkeypox. I think that's where the original name came from. But, but like you said, there are the, the most recent cases were founded in, in mice. The first human case of monkeypox was recorded in 1970 in the D- Democratic Republic of Congo during a period of intensified effort to eliminate smallpox. Since then, monkeypox has been reported in humans in other areas of the world, not just in Western, uh, sorry, not just in Western African countries. So again, being mindful that we're, we've seen monkeypox cases in the United States, Israel, Singapore, United Kingdom. It's it's something that people can get through international travel. It's not linked to any one specific place at this point in time. Yeah. And maybe let's talk about how it's spread. So before I get Mm -hmm. into the details about this, I think that if we all take these 
universal precautions, you know, protecting yourself against things that you don't know about, that is all you really need to do. So monkeypox can be spread from animals to humans through bites or scratches. So you should always be taking precautions, you know, protecting yourself from bites or scratches from any kind of animal. It can also be spread through direct contact with bodily fluids or sores on an infected person or materials that have touched bodily fluids. So again, those universal precautions. You should never be exposing yourself to someone's bodily fluid, um, whether it's in a healthcare setting or not. Well, there there are some cases in which we might expose our bodily fluids, but that's a whole other other episode. Okay, <laughs> outside of your household. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's limit the contact of bodily fluids please <laughs> it's been a pandemic what are you talking about no, although continue. it does say it says monkeypox can be spread through intimate contact although at this time it's not known if monkeypox can be spread through semen or vaginal fluids so it might just be physically being in close contact but we're not sure i guess at this point which bodily fluids can spread it yeah, and I think this is where we there's another really important conversation that we have to have and this is like dispelling this this pandemic of misinformation. And one of the things that I saw 2 weeks ago and I actually had tweeted about it was the fact that someone actually mentioned that it was, you know, it was predominantly seen in gay men. Like where do people get off with this type of nonsense, right? Like it it just as soon as I saw it, it made me infuriated. It just because it brought me back to thinking about you know, how people treated people during the HIV and AIDS pandemic or uh, epidemic and how how they essentially took this this disease that anybody could get and turn it into a gay disease or a homosexual disease. Like, I think that, again, is just demonizing a group of people and how damaging those types of effects there. It's a rippling effect that still people have stigma and marginalization to people who might have HIV. So let's not do that, because honestly, it's not founded in evidence. It's not founded in science. That is something that's based in spread of fear. It's misinformation and it's harmful and it's damaging to these groups of individuals. So let's cut the shit and not do that at all. Yeah, and I hate to even have to say this, but like, let's be clear that there are no infectious diseases that are limited just to gay men. Diseases don't care what your sexual orientation is, what your ethnicity is, where you're physically located. So I don't know if this was an urban legend where you know it's like someone heard that someone had it that was gay and then it just spread like wildfire and we're really going back to we're, we're putting ourselves back 30 40 years back to the whole AIDS pandemic when it was labeled as a gay disease and I would like to think that we have moved on from that but it's it's really unfortunate that we're even having to have this conversation yeah it really makes me very very angry when when individuals do this. And I think I always wonder, it's like, what do you think you have to gain by spreading this type of misinformation? And again, this is where we actually have such a huge problem with misinformation. Like I, I, I don't even know now if people like, even if you were to say, okay, I did a research, I did research. Here's the evidence-based research. If anybody would consider a fact to be a fact anymore, people are arguing to, for argument's sake at this point in time. And it's actually quite scary because I don't know what the, you know, what the next five years will look like. I shouldn't even say five. Let's, let's fast forward to like six months in terms of, you know, changing evidence, scientific evidence, and whether people want to believe it or not. Because I think 
we've just seen that people will make up their own truths. And I think that's so harmful and so damaging. And it's a huge problem that we have in our healthcare community. And I think the last thing that we want to be talking about is another infectious disease, because just coming off of the last two and a half years, it's all we've talked about. But the thing is, right. by ignoring it, it's not going to go away. We need to just face it head on and use everything we've learned from COVID to really make sure that we don't deal with another lockdown or another disease that has, you know, mutated beyond what we know it to be anymore. No, I, I completely agree. And I mean, just looking at, like you said, like a worldview, like what's happening now as of May 31st, uh, 2022. So in the world, there's 257 confirmed cases. There's 120 suspected cases in 23 countries that we do not normally see monkeypox. In Canada, like I said, less than 36, uh, sorry, less than 30 cases. There were 26 cases as of yesterday, which is which was May 30th. And in the US, there's 15 cases. I think one of the conversations, what they're saying is it's not very clear how people were actually exposed to monkeypox, but cases include people who self-identify. So again, I'm just going to say that, you know, it's not clear how people were exposed to monkeypox, but we're still trying to investigate and understand where this is all coming from and like, why did it actually show up in the UK to begin with? Right, right. So, I mean, at this point, we can say that most people that do contract monkeypox, they are able to, it's it's what we call self-limiting. So they do end up recovering on their own without any known side effects. But as with all diseases, it's not, it's not a safeguard. There are people who have died from monkeypox, and we really don't know with the more vulnerable population what effect this will have on them. So maybe we can talk a little bit about um, treatment and what we do know so far. There is actually a vaccine that's been developed for monkeypox. It goes under different brand names. So for example, in Canada, it's called Immune. I might be butchering this, and Genios in the States. I think there's a lot of research happening in that area as well. Yeah, there's no one specific treatment approved for monkey pro- for the monkeypox virus however like you said there's various different antivirals that have been u- that have been used for patients with smallpox that may pr- prove to be beneficial but again like the jury's still out they're still kind of trying to figure out you know what are the various treatments you've mentioned the two main treatments we just have to be aware of this like i think we just it's just some it's just like another thing as other diseases crop up just something that we should be aware of and just try to actually think about how we can learn from the last two years. So I think what happens is, you know, we, we, we have COVID-19. It's not over. We're still seeing people being, you know, affected by COVID-19. We're still seeing people dying in larger numbers of COVID-19. And we still have to just be aware that it's here. It still is, it still is around. But what are some of the lessons that we can take away and apply them when we do see new infectious diseases kind of cropping up that we would un- not regularly see and I think that just I'm afraid that you know we we just haven't really learned I just feel like when I think about COVID there was yeah there was a lot of good things in terms of I think the research right like I think there's a lot of work that was done but if I think about the last two years how people look at medical information I think we have a huge problem on our hands Yeah, I remember uh, seeing somebody wearing a surgical mask for the first time in public that wasn't a healthcare provider. That was a that was a shock to me because I always thought of surgical masks and ninety five masks as 
types of equipment that were reserved for hospital settings. And it was like the clashing of my two worlds. I've never, it was just really mind blowing to me. And when we started using hand sanitizer in environments that were not healthcare based, that was also like, oh, okay, we're, we're doing this now. It's gone mainstream. But I feel like at this point where the COVID numbers overall are going down and People right. have stopped wearing masks. Let's just be honest. I feel like I'm the only one that wears one anymore. And is this something that we should be doing or should we just encourage at the very least the hand hygiene and the masks that we've been talking about for the past two years as basic um, defense mechanisms against viruses that we don't know that much about? Well, again, I think we just need to go back to some of the things that we talked about in the beginning of the pandemic. We talked about the precautionary principle, right? Like we don't know. So let's, we're going to, we're going to scale up in terms of what we, we, we do use in PPE and then we'll scale back when we learn more about it. Right. I mean, I think I'm not, I don't think people need to go crazy or need to be, you know, wearing a, a hazmat suit outside or whatever the case may be. And God help me, Sarah, because we said this two years ago and we're like, we're not going to wear a mask. If things were to change, I think we just need to go with the science, right? Like we just go with, if things are changing, then we just have to adjust. But I feel like people are, have been very, very inflexible. And I think that, you know, once restrictions and these very and mandates and, you know, the practice of masking, these things are going to have been removed. And I'd say overwhelmingly they have. Like yeah. I'd say probably 99% of people are not wearing masks anymore, unfortunately, that, you know, people just forget about it. And then trying to, let's say, you know, it became more serious. And I don't, I'm saying, I don't think it's going to become more serious than it is. That, you know, um, put, trying to put those restrictions back in place, I think they might damn well be impossible. I think that what we've seen, it's just, it's been really crazy over the last two and a half years. And I just don't know if people would be willing to put themselves back into that place, not saying that they shouldn't. Like, I think, again, it's thinking about community, thinking about healthy public policy, like what's going to make a greater health healthy population but i think again as they've been removed putting them back in place will be very very difficult right nobody wants to go back to lockdown that's that's got to be avoided at all costs from a perspective of let, let's do little things now to not get to that point again so wearing masks again in indoor spaces that are crowded practicing hand hygiene, like these basic things I think we can all do that don't inconvenience our lives too much. And that still allows us to see people again and do the same activities we were doing. And thinking about how many times in Canada, at least, did we go into lockdown and how hard was that on everybody? It's just thinking about like, let's not go back there. Let's do little things now to prevent that from happening. I wholeheartedly agree. So let's talk a little bit about prevention. So there are a number of measures that that can be taken to prevent infection with the monkeypox virus. So like you said, um, we can avoid contact with rabbit animals. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so we can, we can avoid contact with animals that could harbor the virus. But again, like I think there's still just like this is actually a point from the CDC. So this says including animals that are sick or that have been found dead in areas where monkeypox occurs. Well, that's great. It's not occurring so frequently here. Again, I mean, I'm just putting it out there for our international uh, listeners that, you know, 
if if you are having higher cases of monkeypox in your area and there are animals that may be sick, leave them alone. <laughs> Otherwise, I think that's just one of the various prevention strategies that the CDC outlined. Um, again, avoid contact with any material such as bedding that has been in contact with a sick animal. So this is actually a very interesting point. I don't know if you've seen this, but I was watching a report yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. And I believe they had like Dr. Isaac Bogosh on and they had some viewer questions and they were one of the viewer questions was, um, could I like I go to a general laundromat and do my laundry there? Can I get monkeypox from the sheets? And his his answer was like, most likely no. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, so most likely no, you wouldn't. But you just ha would have to be cognizant that if there were large numbers of monkeypox in that area or whatever, then it might be a risk. And I guess it's so hard to say absolutely no. But again, like we just have to put things into perspective, put the numbers into perspective, put the case amounts into perspective, put the the level of harm and the morbidity and mortality into perspective. And I think I think people are scared, but I think that we ju we just need to be cautious and we just need to do the right thing. Yeah, that laundromat example, I'd be more afraid of getting something from other people in that space through the air <laughs> than from touching someone's dirty sheets and not knowing what type of virus is on it. Because realistically, are you going to be touching somebody's dirty laundry or are you going to be touching your own dirty laundry? No, I know exactly where I put my clothes. Like when I used to have to use a laundromat and I think people are just very careful that way. You know, I've never like... You know, I use washing machine one, four and seven or whatever. Like I just know where my stuff is. It's just, I think, I think again, people just need, like there's been so much heightened anxiety around COVID that that was needed at the time. And I think that there is still heightened awareness that we need about these various different types of um, viruses and diseases. But again, just trying to put some perspective on what we're seeing as well to kind of, you know, decrease some of that anxiety that people might be having. Right. And if you do touch something that's questionable, wash your hands. I think that's pretty right. common sense. So it's <laughs> not like it's gonna, you know, it's a be all and end all. If you touch something that you wasn't, you weren't sure about, you know, just wash your hands, use some alcohol based hand rub, don't touch your face, all that kind of stuff that we talk about all the time. So, you know, what are like we like we kind of touched on all the various different things. So we talked about prevention. We talked about like where it came from. We talked about the treatments that there are available. We've talked about kind of globally what's happening, how it's spread, what it actually is. But, you know, I think the the, the biggest takeaway from this really should be talking about like what are our next steps and again this is this is where we talk about the most important thing about having effective public health responses at all various levels of the government so i'm stealing this from dr isaac bogosh thank you i'm totally taking your words but at the end of the day it's actually what we need to do it's what we should have been doing with covid19 as well so again like what's happening at the federal level what's happening at the municipal level what's happening at the provincial level and then for the folks in the states i think again just having that healthy public health response right like how are you guys managing it making sure that you're managing it on all the various different levels of the government. And then I know um, just as it is in the States, it's similar to here in Canada where each province has, you know, these various different ways that they deal with it. And I think that, you know, having a global response 
is so important. Like we saw what happened when we didn't have global access to vaccines. We're still dealing with the challenges from not seeing, having that global access to and making sure that other countries are supported as well. Um, but we have to learn from our mistakes. Absolutely. And um, I wanted to go over a few myths related to monkeypox. So, yes. okay. So number one, monkeys are to blame for monkeypox. So despite decades of searching for the natural reservoir of monkeypox, we are no closer to an answer. As you mentioned, the disease itself was first discovered in laboratory monkeys who became infected in the late 1950s, hence the name. Um, I'm going to ask you, Amy, about the second myth. Eating meat will give you monkeypox. What do you think? I don't believe that that's true. Correct. Obviously, you want to avoid eating bush meat, meaning animals caught in the wild. Um, and you want to, as with any type of meat, make sure it's cooked thoroughly. But this relates more to wild monkeys um, or animals, I should say, where they live in countries where the virus is endemic. So that's where you'd be at more risk. Um, and obviously, this doesn't really apply to us. Um, myth number three, monkeypox was leaked from a Wuhan laboratory. Goodness gracious, let's stop <laughs> with the racism. So let's say that is false. Yeah, it's actually kind of crazy. So um, Wuhan somehow got dragged into some uh, conspiracy theory that was um, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, we had to come out and say again that it didn't come from that part of the world. And it's unfortunate that it continues to be dragged into all these uh, conspiracy theories. Right. But that's where you saw like the rise of like anti-Asian racism, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's why I was kind of talking about like, you know, how the media is portraying, for example, when they were showing it just on black skin. And then you don't want, like, I think the, the last thing anybody needs, right? Like we already have these problems is for the media and various different narratives to create it as that's a disease that these people brought here. And now we have to suffer from it. It creates racist abuse, racist thoughts, anti-Asian racism, anti-Black racism. So, I mean, when you're sitting there and you hear the media or various different sources be like, well, yeah, it came from it came from China. It, it came, it's the China virus. That it, Those are the racist narratives. And that's to demonize an entire group of people. Like, look at how many of the horror stories you heard of what happened to various different Asian people that are still happening to Asian people with COVID-19. We have to talk about how these narratives are are put into the media. And then we have to like deal with them right at that moment. Like we can't sit there and let these, these headliners run when we know that they're, a, they're racist and that they're demonizing a entire group of people. Right. And the use of images is really important and it can be very damaging. So when you see a news article, right, it talks about monkeypox, for example. And as you said, there's an image that always goes with a news article. And when it shows somebody of darker skin, that's damaging. And it's hard to undo that visual connection that people put together. So let's be really cautious about the types of people that we're showing when we are talking about different, you know, infections. Because Absolutely. the imagery is really powerful, right? It's not just the words. It's what people see day in and day out. Yeah, that's how you create stereotypes, right? That's how you create discrimination when you target just certain groups and just say, well, this is this is what it is and this is how, and you know, you pair those images with stories. Our brains do all sorts of crazy things and some folks would call it unconscious bias. That's a piece of it. 
But again, we just have to talk about how we're telling these stories, why we're telling them the way that they are, and the types of damaging effects it could have on entire groups of people. Mm-hmm. And here is last last myth. Bill Gates engineered the monkeypox outbreak. Oh my gosh, you know, I mean, why didn't they just jump in and just say it was actually Elon Musk? Like he <laughs> he was the one that was doing it instead. Like people just need to stop this. And like it, I think it's funny that, you know, um some folks would say, well, we're fear-mongering. Well, I mean, if you're going to target a single individual as the the sole creator of this entire disease, like I think that's 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 a stretch. Like it's more than a stretch. It's, it's outlandish and it's ridiculous. And we need to stop doing that kind of stuff. And again, like I said, over the past two years plus, I don't know what has happened in terms of this narrative of what's real versus what's not real, what's fake, what's, what's truth, what, what is, you know, what is actual facts. It is, it's wild. And we have, like I said, we have a huge problem. Like I have no idea. I would love to hear from our listeners, from other physicians, nurses, other people in health politics. Like what are we going to do about this health misinformation or about, you know, the fact that for some, there's a lot of mistrust around not just healthcare, but like the media and various different images and people who were in the media. Cause I mean, we'll have to do an episode on this later, but there's a lot of people who profiteered off of false narratives. A lot of people in healthcare that profiteered off of false narratives. And it is that is so messed up. Like the grifts that we've seen have been unbelievable. Like you went from being, or individuals went from being, you know, oh, I'm going to talk about this. And here's what the science says to buy my butt cream <laughs> two and a half years later. Like it is wild how switching the narrative for some people made them profits, which is very scary in general. But I, I would love to hear from the folks who listen to us, like, what are we actually going to do to combat this? Because I think that if we if we think about some of the, the challenges that are going to be presented um, you know, 22 onwards, I think health misinformation is probably going to be the biggest challenge that we'll have to face in the next five to 10 years of, of you know, a healthcare or of our healthcare type of situation. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard the term vaccine hesitancy, and this was before COVID. I remember thinking like, that's an interesting term. I didn't realize it was that big of an issue, but it's blown up tenfold over the course of the pandemic. And I think that back in the days when people used to Google things, um, social media has just ramped that up so much more to where a lot of times I feel like as healthcare professionals, we're in the minority now about how we think about certain things and how do we convince people or how do we hold those people accountable that are healthcare professionals that are spreading misinformation? Where are the checks and regulations around that? Because there's a lot of regulations around things that you do directly to patients. But when you're using your platform and your influence to um, profit, I, I don't feel like there's as much accountability there and there should be. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, like I said, that's a whole other story that we have to somehow capture. I, I mean, the other piece is like people becoming experts in all sorts of fields. Like one of the things that I think that we can pride ourselves on saying is 
we either bring an expert or we just be like, I don't know. Like, we don't know the answer to that. Or, you know, we are only giving our opinions, our takes, or, you know, if we're talking about something factual, we add our links, we add our resources, we add like where this information is coming from. But I think that, you know, we've seen it. This pandemic has brought out some of the worst qualities about human nature. And, you know, You've seen a housewife turn into a scientist, turn into a politician, turn into an epidemiologist, turn into a physician. It's wild. So, I mean, I'm not saying that people should stay in their lane. I think people should be informed by evidence. But I also think that, you know, that misinformation piece is a huge problem. But I digress. We are here to talk about monkeypox. We've talked about the myths. We've talked about next steps. What should you do if you think you have monkeypox? Let's let's go with that last question as a final question. What do you think you should do if you have monkeypox? Well, I think obviously you should seek advice from a healthcare professional. You should limit contact with anybody that you're able to. Please don't go onto Google and try to diagnose yourself with something that you may or may not have. Leave that to the professionals. Practice safe hygiene and do all that stuff that we would suggest that you do. I think at the end of the day, we should treat it just as, again, using the precautionary principle. We don't know what we're dealing with. If you feel that you might have it, follow up with your primary care physician or practitioner. And, you know, maybe in the meantime, you wear a mask. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I think that we just need to be, we just need to deal with this rationally and, and also just, you know, also try to learn from our past mistakes and errors and and take that forward to doing much better with an entire response to uh, whatever this next new journey hopefully will not be a journey um, in regards to monkeypox. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'd love to hear your feedback. Yep. Thank you.